0: Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondrachek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Uh, my name is Austin. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Rosewood. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, that's me. And uh, we are finishing up a series today called Collapse. Um, and we're calling it Collapse because what it's looking at is the book of Lamentations, a, a story of collapse, a story that was written in the midst or the or the fallout of a total collapse. If, this, if you're just joining us, or you're watching us for the first time online, um, what we've looked at over the past few weeks is that um, Lamentations was written during a time uh, sometime after or or during uh, 586 B.C. And in 586 B.C., the southern kingdom, uh, Judah, uh, was taken by the Babylonians. It was wiped out by the Babylonians. And in Judah is the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem had stood for for so long as almost like this, this visual reminder that God is with his people. The temple was there in Jerusalem, and so long as the temple was there, and so long as as Jerusalem stood, it was this reminder that God was always with his people, forgiving them over and over again. No matter how imperfect they were, this perfect God was always there by their side. And then in 586 BC, the Babylonians wipe it out. And everything that God's people thought they knew was turned upside down. And Lamentations is this poetic, prophetic work of the prophet Jeremiah as he makes sense or tries to make sense of everything that had happened. And um, as the last message of this series, um, I felt like it was just, it was really important that this message, you know, land in a place of hope. I I I wanted to really wrap up lamentations on a very hopeful high note because we've gone through like we've talked about some pretty significant pretty deep stuff in the last three weeks and for some it has brought up you know emotions and experiences of significant pain and tragedy as we make sense of how God can be at work through those things so I wanted this to be like a sitcom ending be where you get like all the conflict and everything and then within 22 minutes or so I can wrap it all up and it'll be fine And all the characters are happy and the good guys win and the bad guys lose. The problem is, with just Lamentations, you can't get there. Lamentations doesn't end with that. If we want to be true to the text, we have to be true to where the text ends. And it doesn't end on a hopeful note. But I think that we'll see that when we can accept that as the reality of Lamentations and at times accept that as as where our life is, We can see that there is a greater hope beyond just that story that we're on or the chapter that we're on. So speaking of, I want to read the last chapter, Lamentations 5, to you as we get started here. So it says, "'Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless, our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price.' Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get more bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us and there is no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands. Elders have been shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under the loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, Our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our hearts grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, with jackals prowling over it, you, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. So why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. And that's it. That's how it ends. It ends with Jeremiah almost like speaking these words out to the void with no assurance that they're even heard. He's got questions, but he's not getting any answers. There's no divine revelation. There's no bow that gets tied up. It just kind of ends, and it almost feels like it ends in the same place that it begins. And he asks a question, ultimately, what what he's requesting of God, what he's requesting an answer for is, will God forget us like we've forgotten him? Because if this is true, it would be fair to God... Fair of God, rather, to act this way. If they have forgotten Him, will God forget them? Because it feels like life is collapsing around them. And by every measure of blessing and curses, it feels like they are completely alone in this world. They have lost their land. They have lost their holy places. They have lost their fathers and mothers and children. They have lost the prosperity. Everything that they knew as good is now gone. And on top of that, it now seems as if God is gone too. He's certainly at the very least silent. Perhaps by the point that the Babylonians have come in, just too much, is water, too much water is over the dam, right? Like maybe they're, they're past the point of no return to the point where like, hey, if you try to offer prayers, too little too late. Should have thought that before, right? You, uh, you know, too many lies have been spoken. Maybe too many false gods have been worshipped. Too many masks have been worn. They don't even know who they are anymore. So is this true? Is it true that God will treat you like you treat him? Is this how God operates? It's how the world operates. Is this how God operates? Will God treat you like you treat Him? And if we, or God's people, have pushed God aside for way too long, does He get to His breaking point where He says, "I've tried. I really have shown you mercy. I've shown you grace. But I'm done. I'm done." Jeremiah may have been the first one to ask this, but he certainly is not the last one to ask this because it's still a question that resides in our hearts today, especially during the collapses of our lives. But here's where, in a, in a very subtle way, and it's small, but we're going to see that this, this grows when we look at it, but... but in a subtle way, hope starts to kind of grow up here. Because in in Lamentations 5, like I said, it kind of feels like it ends in the same place it begins. But the words of Jeremiah meant to represent the the language of uh, God's people. The, the language starts to change just a little bit, and it's subtle, but it's important, because at the beginning, if you remember how this all started, the first couple chapters, uh, the the problem that, that God's people were having that was being kind of explained by Jeremiah is that they saw themselves as being you know treated unfairly, that they were God's people, and there was this sense of entitlement that God owes them all these blessings, but somehow the curses, you know, it's still true today, we block out the curses, but hold God to his promises, and, and so they're, 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 um, they're thinking, why has this happened to us? But now, by the time but he gets to the end, you see this transformation start to happen, and their entitlement is gone, and in its place is a cry for mercy. And as a part of mercy, here's the thing, when you, when you pray for mercy, or when you, when you ask for mercy, there is an acknowledgment of guilt when you ask for mercy. You can't ask for mercy without an acknowledgment of guilt. And now there is finally, by the end of this, a sense of, wow, we have sinned. Our ancestors have sinned. We have sinned. And we are in this place. God, have mercy on us. Will you treat us like we have treated you? Lamentations 5 is this last ditch effort to sway God towards mercy and grace because they see that they are actually deserving of everything that has happened to them in this instance. But don't miss this part because this is is so important to all of this. This is so important for how how we look at Lamentations and how we look at, frankly, any part of Scripture. What we have to remember is that while Lamentations is over at the end of chapter 5, the story that God is writing is not. Lamentations is over. But there's more to come. There were events that led up to the events that take place in Lamentation. There are chapters that took place. And Lamentations represents a chapter for the lives of God's people. A terrible time, a dark time, a time of absolute collapse. But what we cannot miss, which would have been so hard for God's people to see from their vantage point, but from ours we know that there are more chapters to come. That God's not done writing the story. There's more to come. There's more chapters to come. Now, for God's people, they're having a hard time believing that. And so do we. We have hard times believing this too at times. But there is a bigger story. It's something bigger than Jeremiah. And while while Lamentations is a book without grace, at least grace that's easy to find, it ultimately teaches nothing but grace when we take into account the full revelation of Scripture, and when we look at the larger story that God is writing, and we see Lamentations as a chapter, not just a story that's intended to stand on its own. I think so much despair comes into our lives for the same reason, where we look at the experience that we're in right now, and we think that's all it ever will be, right? What you're experiencing right now is it. You forget that, that chapters led up to this. But we have a hard time trying, sometimes seeing that that's the way it's going to be, right? You've been there where there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's just like, here it is. It's terrible. Everything's gone wrong. I'm at the end of myself, and it will be like this forever. That's how the people of Lamenta- that, that Lamentations is accounting certainly felt. And a lot of despair comes from believing that the chapter we're in is the entire story. The cry of the Israelites, or rather, or, or of God's people to God, I think can be summed up with, with a word, and it's a word that Pastor Howard kind of primed us on last week, but we're going to go a little further with, we're going to play with a little more this week. And the word is, is remember. Specifically, that God remembers his covenants or his promises and does not forget us. Now, God is a, God is a covenant maker and, and he's a promise maker. And that's something that comes from, from his nature, his loving nature. Because of that, he is one who makes promises or covenants. Now, for some people here, you might think like covenant, that's new language or you've heard it and you never like, thought about it. What does this mean that God is a, a promise maker or, or a, a, a covenant maker? But the thing is, I think to understand uh, how our lives can be viewed in the midst of a collapse, we've got to understand God's love as a a covenant maker, okay? So so we're going to, again, if this is like new to you or we're getting into theological realms, I just want to first say we are not living up in the sky. This is going to come back down to earth. And if this is something you know nothing about, what I'm going to give you in four minutes is one year of seminary. So at the end of this, you all can cash in for like a third of your divinity degree and you'll be good. Okay, so we're going to talk about what's what's often called covenant theology. Okay, now coming up on the screen here are five covenants. They're in uh, chronological order. The first covenant is the covenant or the promise, kind of using the same word interchangeably there, the promise that God makes with Adam and Eve, right? He's, it, it, that promise establishes humanity in relation to God. Okay, now you may not have thought of that as a promise, but you may have thought of it as a broken promise when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit and now Live under the curse of sin that we that we all experience. The second covenant was the promise that God made with Noah after the flood. He says, "I won't do this again." puts a rainbow in the sky as a as a uh, um, as a seal of of that covenant, and um, and so that's the the second promise. God is a promise maker. The third. Is the promise he makes with Abraham. Now, we're not even out of Genesis yet. So, there's all this kind of promise making early in, in Scripture. The, the Abrahamic covenant is the one where God chooses Abraham and his wife Sarah. And he says, even though they are old and even though they don't have any children, he says, I'm going to raise up like a, a nation out of you. My people will come from you. And he says, Look up at the sky. See all those stars? You're going to have more descendants than those stars. And he says, I will give you land, I will be your God. I will bless you and everyone you bless I will bless as well. And then comes the the covenant or the promise that God makes with, with Moses. It's an enhancement of the Abrahamic promise and so uh, he that's where the, the law is given to God's people and the law is intended to help them to live in harmony with one another to uh, glorify or to praise God and uh, to be a blessing to the world and so when you read in the Old Testament where in in this idea of, of remember asking God to remember is extremely common language through all of, of Scripture when you read that oftentimes in the Old Testament they're referring to this to this covenant God, remember that you, that you chose us. Do not forget us. And then the last covenant is the covenant that is made with David, the Davidic covenant. Uh, uh, God promises his people that within the line of King David, a Messiah figure will rule over Israel in the, whole, in the whole world for all of eternity. And this Messiah figure will rule perfectly. Unlike the kings that they have experienced, even unlike David himself, he will, he will lead perfectly this Messiah, this one to come. It's a promise of something that is to come. Now, these are the first five. Now, you might have a church background or or, or traditions that you might not call these the same or number them the same. Maybe you don't view God through the lens of of, of covenants as much as like Reformed theology does. (coughs) But... One thing that we can all agree on, what we're all kind of trying to say in our own way, is that God makes promises and remembers them even when we don't. That's the story that's told over and over again through God and humanity and sin, that God makes promises and he remembers them even when we don't. But there's still one covenant that I didn't include. And it's in, in the time of, of Jeremiah and Lamentations and frankly all of the Old Testament, it's a, cov- it's a covenant that had been alluded to, that had been foreshadowed, but hadn't been fulfilled yet. It is a promise that makes, frankly, it's a promise that makes the Old Testament the Old Testament, and the New Testament the New Testament. And it's a promise that even Jeremiah himself, so many hundreds of years prior to this this covenant uh, coming true, it's a promise that God gives Jeremiah words to describe. He says in Jeremiah 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So he's saying, he's saying, I was faithful to them and they still broke it. So I am going to do something new. And he says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The new covenant, and that's the the name that we give it, the new covenant is the promise that was made incarnate in Christ. It's the promise that was sealed with the blood of the crucified Jesus who suffered in our place for the punishment that we brought upon ourselves through all of these broken promises and covenants. And whereas all all of these other covenants, these are simply steps These were were promises that God made for a specific time and for specific people to accomplish a specific reason. But every single one of them is leading up to this new covenant. They are foreshadows. They're a taste of what's to come until the new covenant has arrived. And the new covenant arrived, as Jesus said at the last supper to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we do every communion. We remember that Jesus came. Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And that is the new covenant of grace that we live under. The final covenant is an unconditional covenant that is established and held together entirely by God. Unlike the other covenants where, where we had to kind of try to keep it all together as well, but it would always fail, this one would be held together, would be sealed by God himself. Lamentations is Jeremiah's prayer on behalf of the people of God to remember. They're calling out to a covenant-making, long-memory God, saying, remember us. What we have gone through, what we are going through, God, remember us. And he does, through the new covenant. While they pray, God, remember us. God is, I mean, if you were in heaven, on the throne, listening to these prayers come before you, God would have been saying, I didn't forget. I won't forget. I remember you. And before you even cried out for me to remember you, I have been making preparations to prove that I remember you, to call you back to me no matter how far you go from me. The book of Lamentations speaks the language of our own disorienting collapses, the times where we are left with nothing, sometimes even feeling like we don't even have God there by our side. It is full of pain and sorrow and fear, and it connects to us best during those times where we experience our own collapses. And when those times come, it's important to cry out, like Jeremiah demonstrates to us, to cry out these prayers of lament. Lament. To to pray in in protest and petition against God for the circumstances that have befallen your life and that you see around you. By all means, pray those prayers. And, And at times, the heartfelt prayer that we have is one that is so much like the people of Israel. God, remember me. It's amazing how much we can go through as Christians when we have this firm knowledge that God has not forgotten us and is with us. But even the smallest hurdle feels like something we can't jump through when we start to believe that God has forgotten us. And so when you call out to God to, to remember you, by all means do, if that is the groan of your heart, but do not believe the lie that he has actually forgotten you. You and I are blessed. with the full revelation of scripture. And we live in the era of the New Testament. We live with a perspective that's bigger than Jeremiah and the other Israelites. We know the complete story because we know Christ and Christ knows us. The testimony of God through the hardships of Jeremiah and God's people in, in Lamentations is that pain and difficulty will come, 100%. God promises it. Jesus says it's going to happen. Jesus says in Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. I feel like there's this nasty rumor going around where we believe that if we're a Christian, everything will be fine. We need to figure out who's spreading that rumor, right? Because it's not true. We will experience hardships you will experience troubling times in your life. But as Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. This chapter that you are living in, a chapter of collapse and hardship, a chapter of pain and doubt, will eventually give way. There is another chapter for all of us. For most of us, there are a lot of chapters. But one thing we know for sure is that there is at least one chapter awaiting everyone who believes. It's that chapter of glorification where God will bring you in, where you will finally be perfect as God is perfect. You will know God fully and perfectly living face to face with him in heaven and on the new earth. That chapter is coming. So regardless of what you're in now, that chapter is coming. And chances are there are going to be a lot of chapters between now and then. But do not confuse the chapter you're in for the entire story because eventually that death will give way to life. The darkness gives way to light. Defeat gives way to victory. You get to a point, a point where, where shame will give way to grace. Where, where chaos, right, gets replaced with, with order. Where bondage is replaced with freedom, where, where, where mourning is replaced with dancing, where sorrow is going to be replaced with joy. So do not forget that you are in a chapter and that the author of life is not done writing your story. Let's pray. God, meet us in these chapters that we live. Meet us in the joy Meet us in the sorrow. God, especially meet us in the sorrow, in the collapse, in the shame, in the death, in the fear. God, meet us in the doubt. God, just meet us. We know that even just a a glimpse of you, knowing that you are there, that the promises you've made are true and that you haven't forgotten about us, God, it's like water for the thirsty soul. God, give us that drink. Give us that memory. Help us to remember that you are a God that doesn't forget, that the promises you've made, you are faithful to hold them even when we are not. God, forgive us of our sin. Meet us in that place and open our eyes to your presence. Help us, God, to not let the world push us around, to be slaves to our own emotions and perspectives, but to leave our eyes fixed on you, knowing that even when we have troubles in this world, God, you are there. You are working all things out for our good. You're working all things out for your glory. God, meet us in this chapter. God, whatever chapter is represented here in this room, every single person represents something different. And God, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would meet us in the ways that we need to meet you. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Challenge us where we need challenging. God, be our God and remind us of your holiness, your sovereignty, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you, God, for being who you are. Meet us today. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.